You're listening to a bonus edition of The Close-Up, the Film Society of Lincoln Center's podcast series. This is Brian Brooks. And this is Eugene Hernandez. In today's episode, we'll listen in on the editors of Film Comment magazine as they discuss the best films of 2014. Each year, the editors of Film Comment survey cinephiles to get a snapshot of the past 12 months in cinema. Film critics, programmers, and others are polled and each submit their votes for the top films of the year. The best movies that were released in theaters, as well as their favorites, among those that have not yet made it to the big screen. Film Comment magazine is published bi-monthly by the Film Society of Lincoln Center, with frequent updates throughout the week online at the magazine's website. For the latest, be sure to follow them on Twitter at FilmComment. You can check out the complete list of Film Comment's Best of 2014 and get more information about the magazine at FilmComment.com. Now let's go to that conversation. Today we announced the results of the 2014 uh, Film Comment poll, and I'm Violet Luca, digital editor, and I'm here with... No, Nicholas Rapold, senior editor. And, and Gavin Smith, uh, editor. And uh, topping the list of the released films for 2014 was Boyhood. Um, and naturally, seeing this title, I'm sort of reminded of uh, another film about uh, philosophy and growing up in Texas and a time experiment, uh, which was also a number one film back in 2011, which is... Uh, tree of Life. How do you think Boyhood sort of is positioned maybe within a tr- large, you know, sort of within the context of the decade? Because obviously part of part of the exercise of creating list is sort of being like, this is for posterity. This is this is a this is a sample of what's happening in 2014. This is within the context of this year, but it's also within a greater context. It's in you know a larger you know uh, tradition of what film culture is and so I guess if you had to stack one against the other how do you think or even just in the context of films that have been released in this decade well I mean you know from the sort of posterity point of view I I don't think there are very many films on this list that won't be remembered in 20 years time or you know but then it's very hard to predict something like that I mean if you showed me a list of what the best films were, were that were voted on 20 years ago um, maybe I'd look at that and I'd say, oh, that one's kind of really fallen out of the conversation. Um, I mean, hmm. I mean, a film like Citizen Four is not going to, um, it's going to become an artifact. It's not really going to kind of have some enduring sort of, you know, um, I mean, it might, you might say Citizen Four is a film that, that people will look at in 20 years' time and say, well, that was a prophetic film. You know um, that it that it that it anticipated it was the beginning of some you know a, a sort of a, a sea change in um, in how we live in the modern world um, um, with the eyes of our well-meaning government on us. Um, so even that, I don't think you could say. Well, in twenty years' time, people will just think that's kind of a quaint artifact that tells you something about nineteen. Uh, that tells you something about 2014 um, or 2013, really. 
Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can't look at this list and say, yeah, no one will be talking about that film in 20 years' time. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> in terms of surprises on the list, uh, I mean, I guess maybe... I don't know, Force Majeure, the placement there, I wasn't necessarily expecting enough people would have seen that even, since that's always a big factor with the list, is whether people can see things. Um, I mean, for example, you won't find Selma on this list, and I don't know if that has to do with people's feelings about the movie, one way or another, or just the fact that, you know, you had to be in a, I don't know, the screenings have been relatively limited compared to some other movies. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, you know, the big thing to say about this list, it seems to me, is that um, it's a list that <clears throat> perhaps for me doesn't have any huge surprises in it, except that there is a kind of a structural surprise or a, there's a kind of, it's a bifurcated list in a certain way because there are certainly films that um, have been um, discussed you know, very admiringly in the sort of um, main currents of film criticism like Boyhood or The Great, the Grand Budapest Hotel or uh, Birdman, um, Mr. Turner, Whiplash. The These are all films that, that, that have received fairly wide acclaim. But then within, the, the, alongside them, in the lower end of the list... There's what there's a core of you know there's there's a group of there's a number of films that really kind of have who's, who where the audience is basically consists of the hardcore cinephile types people who want to watch you know films like um, Stray Dogs or Manakamana or Norte the End of History um, uh, those three in particular are films that are probably have a lot of chat I mean they have a lot of champions and deservedly so but within a narrower smaller um, circle so that's I mean that's what I see I mean as a film as a list re representing film comment um, and as a list representing kind of people that follow film comment or that read or the the, the identify with the uh, film comments um, coverage uh, and its agenda if there is one um, films like um, Manakamana and Straight Dogs are films that we've in the magazine certainly championed um, and um, those are probably films that um, you know would be on the cover of Cinemascope but we don't do that we, we put things like um, uh, uh, The Grand Budapest Hotel on the cover um, um, or, or Gone Girl but we do pay attention to these films, and I think um, probably almost everything on this list got some coverage in the magazine. Uh, possibly we didn't really do anything um, on two days, one night, because we'd recently done a lot of extensive coverage of other Darden Brothers well, films. Well, that had a short review, as did yeah. Under Fest the Skin. Coverage. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think short reviews really can be considered to sort of be a significant push for a film. Yeah. And um, I guess we didn't really give James Grace the immigrant a push, despite the fact that I like it more than any of his other films and um, uh, would have been willing to assign someone to write about the immigrant, I suppose. Um, it just didn't It just didn't make it. Um, and the immigrant, I think, is the fact that it's like slap in the middle of this poll is, is kind of... Actually, I think that connects with what I was saying before about films like Stray Dogs and Norte. 
Um, I mean, The Immigrant is a film that, 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 that was kind of a cause for a lot of people. And then I think outside of the people for whom the film was a cause, there were also a lot of more mainstream critics that appreciated it, you know, because it was a, you know, a, a film that was, um, had a, a, a movie star in it. It was, you know, well-made film. Um, and so it showed some maturing maybe in, in James Gray's um, filmmaking. So that's a film that kind of almost, you could almost say that's the, 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 the where the two camps meet. The people who have been championing James Gray since um, since the start, um, and those who are sort of finally coming around to seeing a James Gray film that they that they feel like they can in, they can enjoy. So um, yeah, so Nick, I mean, would it, the top two, you know, sort of between Boyhood and Goodbye to Language, were you sort of surprised that Linklater bested Goddard? I mean, not really, just because it's. I mean, just because more people probably would have seen it. I mean, it's been traveling for a while. It's been making, you know, good money. So I wasn't necessarily surprised, but I wasn't really surprised. I, I, I mean, I kind of expected those two to be at the top and to be head and shoulders above the, the rest, which is what they kind of are. And I guess often it ends up that way, generally, that there is like a kind of upper tier of things that a couple of titles that people kind of coalesce around. Um, so yeah, it wasn't necessarily, I mean, I, I am su- I guess surprised that there are so many, I mean, as Gavin was saying, there are, you know, the, these, these titles that are pretty hardcore, like, you know, Norte, yeah. the end of history to, to, to be in here. Well, get, for that matter, Stranger by the Lake, actually, that's yes, probably the, yeah. the most, and that's yeah, that probably to me the most <laughs> satisfying positioning of a film that, that, you know, Alan Girardi is not, you know, someone that, that, you know, has a mainstream following but this is a film that I'm not saying this is his crossover film because it didn't seem to do that but that being at number six is you know kind of um uh what would you say that is um encouraging yeah yeah and especially for some that came out in the beginning of the year since people always say that they forget about the films that come out early on but I, I it's funny that sometimes with lists I mean I don't know if this is just my tendency or other tendencies people also for the top top most films they tend to think of a a film that somehow is of of a whole of a piece. Uh, I mean, it's a good, it's a strong film, but I, I just that there's a certain unity to it. Uh, so, like you know, Boyhood is a thing. Goodbye to Language is a thing. It's a good art movie. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel also feels kind of unified in that way. Ida, um, just you know, it's an it's an art film. Capital mm-hmm. A, capital F, in, in a almost very traditional way. Yeah. It, it takes. You mean, a, you're saying that the first three films are kind of singularities. That uh, no, not that there's so much singular. Just that they're they're like I don't know if they're they're films that you can kind of safely pick. You know, it's yeah. Like, and uh, you would feel, and I think also, you know, in the psychology of creating English, you don't want to be that person who leaves that thing off. You are right that the first they are very. Uh, sort of platonic ideals of what their respective genres are, even if that genre is maybe sort of nebulous, like, you know, an art film or under the skin being very, you know, a very arty science fiction film because I don't think there have been films like that in a long time. I don't know. I mean, and then that's... I mean, in a way, I'm just about to contradict myself, but there are also films that people seem to have kind of come around to over the course of the year. And I think 
I mean, the the turnout for Under the Skin here would show that to be one of them. I mean, like, uh, yeah, you know, and maybe even to a certain extent, Grand Budapest Hotel. Like, I don't remember that being such an across the board popular thing. Mm. Um, I mean, it was definitely respected, and, and and in some ways, called one of his like more Wes Anderson's more important films in, in some greater sense. Um, but I don't, I don't necessarily, I wouldn't have thought then that it was going to be all the way at the top here or or even Ida in a way which yeah. but uh, that's definitely gained a lot of momentum oh Ida Ida had strong support from the start it was just slowly built over the years more and more people yeah, have seen it yeah but the it. title it's such a small title yeah <laughs> it's the shortest title on the yeah. list um I just want to say something about the unreleased films films without distributors yeah. um again I think that it's not a shock to me that the wonders um, Alice Rohrwacher's film um, is number one. I mean, it's um, it, I'm just kind of surprising to me it doesn't have a distributor. I mean, it's a very accessible, very enjoyable film. Um, it's a film of substance. Um, <clears throat> Looks beautiful. But what's interesting is that the three films that people kept voting for, not realizing that they had distributors, were Horse Money, How Ha, and La Sapienza. Three films, are, you know, five years ago would certainly have been on this list of unreleased films or films without distributors, but which were actually all picked up um, months ago, you know, back in September, October. Um, so, I, you know, I think that the, the, the fact that those films aren't on this list is perhaps a reflection. I, what I see from this list is that the state of um, art house distribution of more challenging films is in pretty good shape. Um, there aren't too many films being left behind that, that, that have their champions amongst, again, the kind of hardcore cinephile people. I mean, Horse Money was a movie that was on the cover of Cinemascope and How Hard was on the cover of Cinemascope, I think. Um, and and um, um, we, will, we, we did a piece on How Hard and we will do a piece on, on um, Pedro Costa um, um, when the time comes. Um, and that won't have been our first, for that matter. Um, I think the, um, I guess the surprise on the unreleased list is Pasolini, mm -hmm. the Abel Ferrara film, because, um, well, maybe it's a more specialized film than I realized, but, uh, and I imagine it will eventually get picked up. Um, but that seemed like a film that um, was pretty accessible. I mean, maybe I'm, maybe I'm misreading um, or, or, or over, right, overestimating um, um, the audience yeah, that uh, you know that theoretical audience um, but I'm sort of surprised that Pasolini is sort of looking for distribution and horse money and how hard are kind of already you know lined yeah. up to be released yeah although Pasolini is not the most straightforward in terms of like a biographical treatment on the other hand but it does have a name Pasolini mm. <laughs> um yeah, I mean the the, the one, the, yeah, the wonders seems like a, uh, I agree, a strong film, a worthy holder of the trophy for for number one. Um, well, can we can we maybe switch uh, gears towards the bottom of the list? You know, looking at films that were on the undistributed list last year, a lot of them have made that jump. Jealousy uh, yeah. would be the probably the most outstanding mm -hmm. example of that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I, th I think, oh, I can't remember actually what films, um, what many of the films that were on um, the list um, last year. 
I, I think a spell to ward off the darkness probably might have been on there. And um, yes, it um, was. What now remind me probably was on there. And strange little cat too. That yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. So. None of these films are are um, necessarily masterpieces. It must be said, but. Um, Disagree. Yeah. <laughs> why, why isn't something, here's something, why isn't something like Guardians of the Galaxy in the top 20? Well, um, to tell me about it. I mean, uh, it's I, possibly the film of the year for me, um, um, a film that was a purely enjoyable experience. I mean, I don't know that it was a, a, a deep movie, but I found it, you know, uh, I found it very moving and uh, Delightful and inventive, and uh, here it is at number what? Forty-four. I mean, yeah, God, that's just you know. I you know, what can you say? I think it's probably that looks like maybe five people voted for it. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, but then on the other hand, something like Interstellar, which certainly. I mean, yeah, Interstellar. That's kind of that's um, that's that's a, that's a pity. I mean, generally, I'm used to seeing at least three movies in the top twenty that we had on our cover, and this year it's down right. to two. Yeah. And then you know, not just at number twenty-two, we have Gone Girl, which was our which was, would have been our third cover, and just uh, Gone Girl didn't really seem to quite connect with the uh, critical community. Um, yeah, it was the way of... Snowpiercer did for some reason. Uh, go figure. I mean, I think Snowpiercer is it's better than I first thought it was, but I, I, I'm not really sure I understand the enthusiasm for, for, for that film. Um, yeah, it's weird that that's like the fun movie. Yeah. <laughs> kind of fun, yeah. Uh, well, no, out of the top 20, that's I the... That's not, I mean, yeah. But that's what I mean. Like, I would expect there, there seems to be usually like some other, some studio movie in the top 20, like... Guardians of the Galaxy. Or, yeah, the studios, know. the main, the, the major studios really just shut out of this list. No, I, would, I mean, I mean Inherent Vice is Warner Brothers, but I mean, that's not a typical Warner Brothers film. Birdman. Birdman is... Maybe that's the... That's a classics division film, though. That's that's Fox. Well, that's, the, that's a superhero. That, I mean, that's a movie that's almost about, you know... a you know, studio star. Being yeah, it's certainly a movie, it's certainly a movie that, 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 you know, performed and connected with people the way that the studio hoped it would. I mean, yeah. Um, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I think for me last year, I, you know, I found myself considering films like um, Guardians of the Galaxy and, um, and uh, a film that I, I don't think even made the list, um, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, to be, you know, uh, you know, two two movies out of the uh, Marvel <laughs> studio factory that um, really surprised me by being really kind of, I guess, superior product. I guess they would say. Well, well I mean, I think you business. have. I mean, they're they're definitely. I mean, Captain America obviously has like a huge following, but it's not. It's in terms of in terms of Marvel properties, it's definitely does not have the same sort of fan base that something like Spider Man or no. the Avengers has. No, and but Iron how Man does that the, translate into people because, voting for it? Because they, you know, it, and this is the strategy that is used in you know that Marvel uses when actually writing its comics, where they'll take a series or a hero that is maybe lesser known, maybe it's kind of lazy. You know, maybe there's a talking raccoon in the in the in the in the group of heroes that it features, and they'll put a really strong writer on it, and that per, and that writer gets to sort of do things that you know more established titles that people will, will just buy regardless. 
You mean in the comic books or in the movies? In the comic books, but I'm saying they're they're sort of taking they're adapting that approach to some of these films. I would argue. Well, I'd honestly never heard of Guardians of the Galaxy um, until it was in theaters, and um, I mean, as a um, well, I, I hadn't heard of it, and then w- once it was released, I wasn't sure if I wanted to see a movie with. Um, you know, a, a tree guy. Well, a talking raccoon. I mean, uh, on the one hand, that's very appealing to me. On the other hand, I have trouble seeing that in a in a kind of a Marvel superhero kind of context. But it's not a superhero movie. There are no superheroes in in Guardians of the Galaxy. They're all people that basically nobody has any magic powers. They're just it's. Um, I mean, to me, it's kind of closer to a kind of a Star Wars kind of uh, model. Um, um, I guess the tree would be the Wookiee yeah, um, in, in this case. Uh, the tree was great too. Um, but I think that, that also it's couched as a bit more tongue-in-cheek than a lot of the other Marvel movies. I mean, Chris, Chris uh, what's his name? Chris, uh, the, the Chris Pratt, he's the hero, and, um, and um, he's not playing the same character he does on television, but, but he's very winning and brings a lot of humor to it. I mean, I, I took that film to be more of a comedy than, than anything else. Right. Um, but it probably shouldn't like dwell on these Marvel movies much longer because it's a silly thing to, to, to fill a podcast up with. <laughs> yeah. um, well, it's nice to see a director. I don't like James Gunn. I mean, I liked, you know, Slither all right to see him. Being yeah, James Gunn. Yeah, and the, and yeah, the two yeah. guys that made Captain America, mm-hmm. they they're, they're, they're both made good films before. Yeah. You know, although, as I said in that meeting we had a few weeks ago, basically, you know, uh, from a an in, well-informed source who knows a director who was recently fired from a Marvel project, um, um, basically Marvel, you know, they, they, they get the director in to shoot everything and then they take the movie away from him and edit it themselves and, and decide what's got to be reshot. And the director is basically kind of frozen out of the of the process mm-hmm. um once the the film is wrapped i mean they might you know obviously have some say but you know so james gunn i mean they've asked him to come back and do another one and and i'm sure they like james gunn and i'm sure he was a you know a team player but i i find it really interesting i thought i was surprised but i wasn't actually taken aback that that's how marvel works i mean because that really actually goes back to the old studio system you know, where basically, you know, the director directed and, and then the editor edited and the director didn't really kind of get involved in that end of things. Um, so um, um, there we have it. Maybe yeah. that's why they're good. <clears throat> Maybe. Uh, I mean, it's interesting to compare the working methods with the top two. I mean, Boyhood, Boyhood for me is still a miracle that it exists and is somehow consistent, like even visually uh, over 10 years. Like if you look at the quality of visual quality of something from 10 years ago it's going to look different um so i mean that's amazing and goodbye to language is another thing like that it, it, it i mean it, that's so subject subject to just one person's will in, in assembling it um uh, and apparently knowing Godard's work methods in a very collage format where people who were shooting stuff for him you know the guy who's shooting stuff for him didn't even know that it would be used sometime um, I don't know. Sometimes I get interested in the circumstances of how these things come to be, and then here they are, just at the top of the list. You know, most of the, a lot of the films, the majority of the films in this twenty are not product. They're films that exist because one person, you know, 
overcame all kinds of obstacles and was determined to make that film. I mean, I you know that may even be true of films like Ida and um, and um, Birdman, but I mean, there's no question that a film like Season Four or a film like Under the Skin, you know, th- these were films that that wouldn't exist if one person had not basically right. had an absolute de- commitment and determination to it. Which you know, I'm just following on from what you said about Boyhood and and, and Goodbye to Language. Even I think it's certainly true of the Grand Budapest Hotel, although Wes Anderson probably gets a lot more help um, than a lot of other people do. Um, you know, Jim Jarmusch huge struggle to make that film. I mean, he had to shoot it in Germany because you know, he, I mean, most of the money comes from Germany. Nobody in America wants to give Jim Jarmusch money to make a film. Well. That's a sad comment. Uh, whiplash, same thing. I mean, that's really coming from one person, you know, really kind of like wanting to make that film. And that's not to deny that the same isn't true for, you know, Chiming Liang with Stray Dogs. And he doesn't find it easy to make films anymore. When is um, he going to get the call from Marvel? Yeah. Yeah, which of these uh, the people in the top 20, who would be the most interesting choice to do a Marvel movie? Poitras. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, or Girardi, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. I think um, who who would be the most plausible would be probably someone like Jonathan Glazer, yeah, or um, or Frederick Wiseman, of course. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, speaking, I'll wait for his Marvel movie. Yeah, well, speaking of Poitras and um, Wiseman, Wiseman, yes. <laughs> speaking of Poitras and Wiseman, um, maybe we can sort Docs. of shift, yeah, over to Docs. There seems to be. In terms of the documentaries on this list, there seems to be a very wide representation, you know, films from literally all over the world and using very different approaches where, you know, um, so it, I think it, in terms of, I mean, you know, in the, in the same way that it's a sort of a nice sample of different narrative films that also. Sure. Yeah, it is. It is a wide. Uh, but each has also highly identifiable reasons for being there. I yeah. mean, Citizen Four is an event movie as much as one gets for that. Uh, National Gallery, I mean, Frederick Wiseman obviously has a certain following after decades. Well, do, do, of, how do of you excellence? Of, yes, um, literally. And, and Monacomana is kind of the you know sensory ethnography lab vote um, that. That, uh, yeah, they're a block vote, right? That's now. right. Yeah. Um, Vocal consumer. But, but, I mean, but also represents. It's interesting that someone like Wiseman, you know, regularly features in our polls, but was someone that, that um, true, was yeah. pretty much ignored by Film Comment until, yeah. well, until very recently. Um, so, getting, so, talking, so, speaking about some other um, docs on this list that were also, you know, best, among the best unreleased of last year, you know, we have two about genocide which being the missing picture and last the unjust um sort of lower down uh i guess do you do you still do you do you sort of see how do you sort of understand them in the context of this year yeah i mean i don't know the act of killing obviously was a you know huge hit last year i mean i i guess i would have expected um the missing picture a bit bit higher i I guess but you know there are plenty of strong movies I mean, are we happy with the top 20? I mean, are these movies that are moving the ball forward and like the state of art, state of the art? It's like, where are we... Well, I, I mean, I only voted... I mean, of the eight... Uh, there were only eight films on here that I actually voted for. Um, that doesn't mean I disliked the others. It's just that they weren't, for me, you know, the most compelling or, or satisfying or... Um, 
achieved films that um, I saw last year. Um, I um, think probably the rest of the films that I voted for are on here somewhere, with maybe one or two exceptions. Um, do I? I mean, I think Boyhood and Goodbye to Language alone, kind of, and then being at the top. But you, you know, I don't think it, I don't think we. The, the, the goal is to kind of you know advance you know the form of cinema you know to you know uh, you know break break new ground but um i guess they do as it happens um yeah i don't know i mean uh, a lot of these people are you know when they make a film they're in this top 20 whenever it is richard Linklater, goddard boys anderson pt anderson uh, pt anderson uh, the dardens jarmusch lee uh, perhaps Frederick Wiseman, perhaps even Love Diaz. You know, they make a film, people vote for it. And, you know, I mean, it'd be interesting to actually look across the 15 years of doing this poll and see, you know, how many people show up year in, I year mean, out. There are, there every are the, other year, yeah, basically. They're, they're there, are the usual, there are the usual suspects here, but I think, to your point, there are a lot of, um, you know, pretty, pretty new, you know, force majeure, Love Diaz. These are these are people and films that have maybe you know been sort of relegated to festival circuit and now or very specific festival circuits that are now sort of getting. Well, Ruben Ostlund is kind of an emerging. Right. Figure. No, I, mean, I agree. Presumably, I... his next film will be even bigger than Force Majeure. Uh, Love Diaz. I to me, that's she's not. Yeah, you know, that's probably the only Lav Diaz film that's ever going to be distributed in America unless he makes something under two hours. Um, and so... Which is a shame because I think um, From What Is Before is a far better film. And, uh, it's longer. Yeah. I'll say that. Um, it, yeah, I, I actually, I kind of agree with you, Violet. I mean, I, you know, I think that the, um, uh, it's just uh, From What Is Before is... Um, has more substance to it. I, I yeah. actually felt that Norte, the end of history, was a little thin, you know, a little kind of... Um, that's what you get when you make a four-hour film. It's just, you know, doesn't it, have the same... Well, it's weird, because it's like, from what is before, is like weirdly riveting for all of those five hours. Like, I've... It, you know, Riveting might not be what the well, word I've, I choose, but I didn't want to. I didn't want to Lulling, yeah, no. pacifying. No, I mean, yeah. you, you could, you, you know. Um, I mean, but I, it's just. Everything. I actually watched the first couple of hours, timing each shot, uh, because I was sure that there were going to be very, very long shots. And I, really, the longest shot in that film is about three minutes, um, and there are many that are under a minute. So, take that. Well, I think, and also speaking again, sort of in general trends, it's in, in usual suspects. I think, you know, you ha you're starting to get a, maybe a slightly more, just very slightly more diverse uh, representation of you know countries of origin on this list. Uh huh. Um, what do you? What do you? Well, that's something I kind of look at each year: is how many come from the U.S. Uh, um, yeah, there's there's about ten countries. This year, yeah, uh, only one and a half women. If you basically regard Stephanie Spray as half a director of Manakamana, um, and you know Damien Chazelle is a first timer, never been on the list before. Ruben Ostlund, never probably never been on this list before. Right. But it, actually, it's a good point to to look at the number of women in this list, just because that's oh. a perennial concern. And uh, yeah, rightly uh, so. <laughs> but uh, it's uh, yeah, on the on the on the strength of this, it's not. Uh, too encouraging, but I mean, 
it's hard to generalize. Well, I think, I mean, in terms of films that I actually saw this year, and this is reflected in my list that I did that includes both things that, you know, released, unreleased, there were, I think, I think I saw a lot of really great films by women this year, you know, if it's The Wonders or, um, you know, Eliza Hittman's uh, It Felt Like Love. The Baba Duke. Yeah, but actually, I just did a quick count, and out of 50 films in this poll, only five were directed by women. 10%. That's terrible. Is that 10%? Five of 50. Yeah, five of 50 seems Well, that seems to be a little disproportionate to the number of women in the population. Mm. Slightly. Well, I mean, to be uncharitable, I think that um, probably there are more women going into documentary filmmaking that's that's where you're going to see more films by women. That's, I, think that's, I think that's film. just statistically, yeah, true. I would agree with that. Um, yeah. I, I don't know why that is. Uh, I have no problem with it. Um, but, um, um, yeah. I, I mean, the argument would be that, I just who knows, in terms of the, the funding, you know, machinery for that is, some, is something that... It's not, you need I mean, more patience to make a documentary, it, so that, that, that's an advantage if you're a woman. And also, um, it's harder to make a documentary. Mm, yeah, much harder. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, yeah, it's, it, it is. I mean, I just if if, if people if, if part of the argument is that there is an institutional bias, I think maybe you know in, within studios or otherwise. Um, that, yeah, that's something. Well, that's can, basically it, isn't it? And yeah. there, aren't, there aren't studio heads saying, "Go ahead and make this documentary," right? You know, right. And, yes, and so. Yeah, but that's true of independent film in general. I mean, there are a lot more women in the independent film right. realm than so, uh, yeah. in general. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we've, we've met our time limit. Uh, how? I guess how well would you say your personal taste is represented on this list? Uh, mine? Uh, yeah. I guess it's. What's the matchup here? Let's see. It's. It's. I don't know. It's. It's fairly. Close. Uh, I mean, I, I didn't have Birdman on there, um, but uh, it's 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 fairly. I can happily say that I do not dislike any of our top twenty. How's that? <laughs> That's a ringing endorsement. What? It, yeah. <laughs> Take that I, to I, the bank. I, I think eight of them are some of the best films of the year, and I and the others are all just fine. That you're gonna you're, look for this quote. This <laughs> a top. I think I had to go down to. Well, let's see. Um, probably somewhere in the mid twenties is where I see the first film that I actually first, actively first dislike. Problem film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you see, that's that's proof of the integrity of our voting process. <laughs> That that film is not. Doing yeah, this year I didn't try to kind of <laughs> manipulate right. the, uh, the. Nor did I the, vote, the poll with my ballot, which well, yeah, no, I didn't. I mean, no. I really didn't. It's pretty clear. Even without Price Waterhouse, we do a pretty good job here. Um, yeah. All right. Well, on that on that, <laughs> on, that, on, that note, very... on that stirring note of honesty, thank you and good night. Thank you. The Close-Up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Brian Brooks, Nick Kemp, and Michael Oatmark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. 
To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, please visit filmlink.com, F-I-L-M-L-I-N-C.com. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here.